Man, so excited for all of you in this place today and for all of those uh, who uh, will be connecting with us online uh, via YouTube later in the week. Uh, we upload the service, uh, or excuse me, the message every uh, single Monday, uh, typically before noon. And uh, so I want to invite you to connect with that. It's uh, simply the Becoming Church on YouTube. So maybe if you're out of town, I know uh, we're in uh, summer seasons approaching and sports and different things on the weekends. Uh, but we would still uh, love for you to continue uh, to connect with what's happening uh, here in the space. Well, man, today's been an amazing morning, and uh, I'm so excited to continue in that, to get to uh, gather around the Word this morning. Y'all excited about that? We get to gather, thankful for the Word of God. And we're going to be coming from uh, 1 John. I'm going to read uh, verses 43 through 46. But before I read, I'm going to take a drink of this water. Is that cool? All right. Here we go. Thank you so much. Somebody said, treat yourself. I treated myself to some Deer Park. Let's go. Um, I'm excited today. Uh, we are beginning a new uh, collection of talks uh, as we enter in this Easter season. And really, even that whole thing of Easter season or resurrection season celebration, it's like, Enter in, do we ever enter out? <laughs> like, this is the thing that we're thankful for every single day uh, in terms of what Jesus Christ did for us. But we do know this around this time of the year. We get to highlight that and celebrate that. And we know uh, um, a lot of people, there's two times a year that they'll typically choose to come out to church. Uh, it's Easter weekend, right? And also around Christmas time. And so, obviously, we uh, do want to make ourselves uh, aware of that. And so maybe uh, when you came in this morning or either when you're going to go out, uh, there's these uh, circle, small invite cards that just simply says, join us this Sunday. So that means on that card, it's always true. <laughs> join us this Sunday. But I want to encourage all of us in here uh, to... Um, Kind of have a heart of invitation to invite someone, invite a coworker. More people are willing to come on that weekend than any other weekend throughout the year uh, outside of Christmas. And so uh, maybe if it's a little like, yo, I don't know, stepping out my comfort zone, I want to challenge you. Look, just make it, you can do it when you go out uh, to eat um, after service today. You can head up over here to Cheesecake Factory, leave a big tip, and then drop the car and say, hey, if you don't have anywhere to connect on Easter Sunday, you should come and hang with us. And I say leave a big tip because it's got the church name on it, right? So we, we can't be disrespecting. Got to put some respect on that name. But um, And so I want to encourage you to do that. Not so that we can um, say how many people came in this place. It's not about that, right? But it's about the opportunity for people to connect with the Lord, to go on a journey with him and discover who he is and what he wants to do in their life. Amen? So we're starting this collection that's entitled Come and See. And that's the heart, that's the heart and intention of it. It's like, look. You may have questions, you may have comments, you may have concerns. Hey, so do I, but just come and see. And we can see what the Lord wants to do and we can figure it out together. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be an apologist. You don't have to be a theologian. You can just say, hey, come and see. And so that is uh, the, the focus of this collection for the next uh, couple of weeks heading uh, into Easter is this idea of come and see. And we're going to begin that conversation uh, from John 1, verse 43 through 46, uh, this morning. And so you can turn with me there or, or scroll with me there, whichever 
or you can view right here behind me on the screen. But verse 43, it says this, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Like, I feel the hate in his tone. Like, Nazareth? Ain't nothing coming out of there. Then Nathaniel asked, but I love what Philip says to him. He just says, come and see. And I love that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And God, I pray over these next few moments as we gather around your word. God, I ask... Lord, that you show us, allow us to see what it is that you're trying to show us. Allow us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. Oh, Lord, I pray, God, that Lord, your word just comes alive in us because it is alive. And we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather around it, Lord. And we say this, speak, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Family, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of insight about me. Instantly, I feel like my wife's heart just dropped. <laughs> like, what is, what is he about to say? But I, I can't figure it out. But for whatever reason, I love to check out Publix grocery stores. It's weird. I know. It's become a hobby or maybe a habit. I don't know about hobby. I should call it that. But it's become this habit that I have. If I'm out of town, I want to stop by the Publix grocery store in that area to see what it's like. Like one time we took a trip to Destin, and hey, it was actually cool. I went to a Publix right there, and I saw Emerald come on, and then she didn't believe me, but I forgot something, you know, like bang, or bam, whichever one it was. Um, I forgot something. You had to go in there, and you saw him too, or you saw him walking out, right? So, I mean, you know, you're welcome with my habit of Publix stores. Or if there's a new one that comes into the area, no matter how far away it is from the house, I'm like, yo, let's go check out that public store. Let's see the new layout. You know, let's see where did they move the bakery? Where can I find the eggs, you know? And it's, it's just become a thing. And I just figure if Katie can get, uh, take a lot of trips to Target, then I can take a lot of trips to Publix, you know? And, 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 and there's a friend of mine. Like, he'll hit me up, like, yo, what's up? And I was like, oh, man, running into Publix. Like, he finished it for me because it's like every time he hit me up, I'm running into Publix. I always need to grab something. Again, I don't understand. Y'all pray with me about this. And, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's this thing because, you know, shopping is a pleasure when you go in there. I don't, I just, I haven't quite figured it out. I don't know. But it's not just the fact that I keep finding myself inside of Publix grocery stores but it's also the amount of time that I, I spend in there. She's like, you're not home yet? Now, some of that is intentional. Like, I'm in there, but some of that is like, man, when I go home, the kid's going to be wild. So I'm going to just enjoy this space before I step up. I'm like, baby, the traffic crazy. She's like, look, I see you in the driveway. Like, you just need to get in the house. It's like a real thing. But sometimes I get lost in there because I'm, I'm – going up and down the aisles because you never know what may be on the buy one, get one. Do y'all know about the buy one, get one? Come on, right? That buy one, get one is a real thing. And I may need this brown rice, you know, the 
kombucha, however you say. I may need that, you know. <laughs> so I don't want to miss what's on the bottom. I want to get one. And here's, here's, this is free. This is free. Oh, you're like, so do we pay for something? But this is free. Um, if you don't want two of the whatever, you can only get one and it's half off. Come on, somebody. We can just say amen and go home right there. But I spend all that time in publics to the point that ultimately I forget why I'm actually there. Like, yo, why am I actually here? And so I'm like standing there holding this box of brown rice trying to figure out like, why am I here? Why am I here? But family, I wonder if that question sounds familiar. I wonder how many of ourselves, how many of us, we find ourselves asking that same question in terms of life. Like, why am I here? Why am I here? Maybe it's because of the tension of tomorrow, the trials of today, or the pain of the past. But we find ourselves asking that question. Now, as I say that, could it be that we're here to know God and make him known? And understand that knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. There's a difference there. But instead, it's based on a real, actual, genuine relationship with him. Now, I know we're in the South. And so in the South, many of us, we consider ourselves followers of the way of Jesus because we've shown up to church a few times throughout the year, probably Easter uh, and Christmas. And so by virtue of that, that makes us a follower of Jesus or, or maybe it's some other thing that we say we follow him. But we got to understand what makes us a follower of Jesus is when we desire to know more, know more of him, to know him rather than to know about him. It's when we choose to surrender our lives to his lordship. Now, for some of us, the desire to know about him has been greater than the desire to actually know him. And so here's what's happened. As a, as a lack of that desire to know him, it has caused us to forget why we are here. And so we find ourselves being a human doing instead of a human being. We're so consumed with trying to figure out exactly what it is that we need to do. And so some of us, we find ourselves hopping from this career to that career and on to the next career, searching for this thing of why am I here? In fact, it has, it's become the focus of who we are. It has completely consumed some of us. And many, what many of us have done, we've defined the reason that we're here based on our career, based on whatever goals we may have, based on some social status or anything that culture says matters. But the truth is, family, we are here to know God and to make him known. And if, and if you didn't get it, like, that's the spoiler alert. That's the answer to the question of why am I here is summed up in those two reasons, to know God and then to make him known. I believe that life in its simplest form is to be lived knowing God. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul was getting at, I want to go, I want to go past the surface level, but I want this, this real, deep, true, intimate relationship with the Lord. 
beyond what I see, but he's like, I want to really experience what it is to know him. That word know, it means to understand. It means to perceive, to have knowledge of. And here's the thing about God. He is so vast in who he is that the idea of knowing him, it's an endless pursuit. It's one that we can never get to the end of because with God, there is always a new discovery. There's always another facet of him. I mean, think about his word. This, this, isn't, this isn't new. Like this, this, this is old. This has been around for quite some time, but yet you can get in his word and you can see something that you've never seen before. Because with him, there's always a new discovery. There's always some revelation. In fact, I love in Revelation 4, where the angels are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I feel like it reveals a revelation of God's glory and majesty. That every time the angels get a glimpse of God, they get another glimpse of his glory. Almost like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know it was like that. Oh, I didn't know it was like that. Because there is no end. There's always a new discovery to who he is. And so on this idea of trying to answer this question, well, why, why am I here? What I found to be true for so many today is this tension between calling and career. And what some of us, we do, we equate calling with career. But let me tell you, family, career is what you are paid to do. And calling is what you were made to do. Now, I do understand that there is this place of intersection sometimes where some of those two can be one in the same. But sometimes there is this thing where we equate calling with career. But we've got to get this right. You know, many times we say, well, God called me to be a doctor. But can I tell you? God did not call you to be a doctor. You, all of us, you were called to Jesus. And what it is, you actually get to express that calling to Jesus as a doctor. Or, or maybe you were called to, to, or maybe you're a lawyer and you say, well, I think God called me to be a lawyer. Well, no, he didn't call you to be a lawyer. No, he called you to Jesus and you get to express that calling to Jesus as a lawyer. See, our calling is to Jesus. we got to understand that. But we are given unique ways to express that calling to the world. And so if you are a teacher, then people get to see what Jesus would look like if he was teaching in the classroom. If you're a meteorologist, then people get to see what Jesus looks like when he's giving the weather report on the 10 p.m. news. Our calling is to Jesus, but he gives us unique ways to express that. Are you tracking with me? But this is where we have to be careful with this idea of expression and calling. The expression of our calling isn't what defines us, but rather it's the one who we are called to that does. And I believe that we can actually even trace some of identity issues back to the misunderstanding of the difference between calling and expression. And the reason being is somewhere along the way we place our identity into an expression and not into the person of Jesus. And so that's why one of the first questions, I mean, we've all have done it and we all have answered it. But one of the first questions often asked when you meet someone new is, well, what? What do you do? Yeah. Because many of us, we, we define our lives by an expression rather than by the person, Jesus. So let me ask you this. Well, what happens if your career changes? What happens if you get laid off? What, what happens when you decide to retire? If you identify by your career, then what happens when it 
changes. So oftentimes the response in these moments when those situations arrive, people will say, well, you know what? I don't even know who I am anymore because we have put our identity into an expression rather than into the person of Jesus. We are called to Jesus. And so that's why this question of why am I here is so important and it's so vital to how we answer it. Because when we can answer that question in the right way, family, we can live life on purpose, fulfilling purpose. And fulfilling purpose is never based on whatever expression that we get to, to, um, to, to express Jesus with, but it's based on our, our calling to him. And so if you're a nurse tomorrow, but you're a teacher, or if you're a nurse today, but you're a teacher tomorrow, your purpose hasn't changed. It's to know God and to make him known. The expression might have changed, but the calling hasn't changed. We are called to Jesus. So to further dive into this question, let's pull some observation uh, from John 1, 43 through 46, to answer the question of why am I here, which uh, is the title of today's conversation. It's why am I here if you're taking notes this morning. So to provide some context to the text, John, who's the writer of the Gospel of John, he kicks off his account with a clear goal to give a description of Jesus that would allow his audience to understand that Jesus is identical to God the Father. And he, he then gets into John the Baptist, the one known as the forerunner, the one who's shouting, prepare the way of the Lord. He's out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. He, he gets on John the, the Baptist. And, and then John goes on to use seven specific titles as it relates to Jesus. He calls him simply the word. Is anybody thankful for the word? The word that became flesh, the word that dwelt among us, the word that literally can change any situation. I'm so thankful for the word of God. Everybody's got a word. Everybody's got a comment. Everybody's got something to say. But the only thing that I want to hear is the word of God. I don't want an opinion. I don't want your commentary. I don't want your thoughts. I don't want your ideas. But I want the word. It's the word that we need. I love John. He starts with that. Let us know, man, the word. Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. And then he mentions Jesus as the light, as the son of God, as the lamb of God, as the, as the Messiah, the king of Israel, the son of man. And then each, and here's what we got to understand about each of those titles that that is that they explain part of who Jesus is and it gives us insight uh, to his mission here on earth. And, and near the end of uh, John chapter 1, we see where Jesus picks his uh, first five disciples, uh, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. And this is where we're going to pick up this morning in John 1, verse 43. In verse 43, it says this. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me which is our first observation. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Follow me. So Jesus, he simply says, follow me to Philip. But what, is, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Right? Have, have you ever figured that out? Like, what does it mean for us to follow him? Now, for us in the room, I do realize that in a city like ours that most of us, we may be actually transplants to this city. We may be new to this city, to this area. But the, what is still true is that we live in the South. And in the culture of the South, you can ask almost anyone you run into on the street, are you a Christian? And the response that you will get will more than likely be yes. 
Now, this is still true, even though we're in a post-Christian society where Christians are no longer the majority, but we are actually the minority in culture. But even given that truth, most people in our part of the country would say yes. For some, the answer is strictly because, well, occasionally they attend at church or because their grandmother or grandfather uh, attended church. So because of that, it's like, yo, that's been passed down to me. And so, yeah, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. But can I tell you, family, following Jesus is so much more than that. It's so much richer than that. When Jesus says, follow me, he was essentially saying, come and be my disciple. Now, the Hebrew word for disciple is talmudim. And the best English word that carries the fullness of Talmudim is the word apprentice. To be an apprentice meant to live under the shadow of your rabbi or teacher. And so maybe there's like a trade, like there's an apprenticeship that you go under, you follow, you watch, you learn, so then you can go and do the same thing. In fact, the goal of an apprentice is what encapsulates this idea of follow me, that they wanted to be with their teacher or in our case, to be with Jesus. An apprentice was marked by these three goals in apprenticing under the rabbi. And it's, three, it's these three goals that I believe will help us understand what it means when Jesus says, follow me. The first goal is this, to be with Jesus. So if we're going to move from knowing about him, right, there's a lot of people, we can, we can have knowledge, we can read and study and attain knowledge. There's a lot of um, professors that can teach uh, theology classes and things of that nature, but they actually don't know him. They like the, the spirit of knowing him. So if we're to move from knowing about him to knowing him, then it's actually going to take a desire for us to be with him. So ask yourself, what things in my life are keeping me from being with Jesus? I think we all got to stop and pause and ask that question. Like what things, because sometimes we think those things are bad things, but sometimes, family, it could be good things that actually keep us from being with Jesus, from spending time with Jesus. And so what we have to sit down is take an analysis and see where is my time going? And I get it. We have all responsibilities, so many different things, uh, our jobs, our careers, uh, family, uh, baseball, soccer, basketball, whatever the case may be. But we have to answer that question. How am I spending my time? What is keeping me from being with Jesus? Is it my busy lifestyle? We weren't called to live this busy, hurry-up lifestyle. Jesus shows us that. It never says he hurried up to get there. Even when, even when someone's like, yo, I need this healing moment. And then this lady with the issue of blood comes and interjects herself. And he's like, yo, hold on, pause. And he deals with her before going to help this man. Like Jesus was never in a hurry, but yet we found ourselves being in a hurry. And oftentimes when we are in a hurry, the thing that we decide that can get left out is being with Jesus. But family, we, we can't do that. We've got to figure out ways to change our routine. We, we'll never find time. It's set, right? <laughs> it's 24 hours in a day. So we're not going to find that time but we're going to have to make the time. There's some things that we may have to eliminate. And, you know, the Lord was dealing with me on this and still is. So what I've began doing uh, over the last, I don't know, couple of months is I get up early before anyone else gets up, which when I first started, it's like as early as I got up, somehow our boy still got up. I'm like, 
I can't get up at 4 a.m. without you. You still, when y'all 18, <laughs> I'm just joking. But I'll, I'll get up early before anyone else does, and I just go to my spot. I sit in the chair, and I don't have, I haven't turned on any device. There's no music going. There's, there's none of that. No Maverick City in the background. None of that. And I just sit there. I've even come up with this phrase that I say. You don't have to say what I say. And it's not some, you know, religious thing or some magical thing or anything like that. But it's a thing that just settles me and comes me down. And I just simply say, Father, here I am. And can I tell you, I mean, the presence of God in that space, in that moment is so real and so tangible. And it becomes a launch pad for the rest of the day. That no matter what I face, no matter what I encounter, I got to begin the day with the Lord. And it's simple. There's no strategy. It may just be 30 seconds while I just sit there in complete silence. But, man, feeling the presence of the Lord in that place, in that moment is so amazing. So we've got to have that same goal to be with Jesus. The second goal in this idea of follow me is to become like Jesus. Now, the vision of the Becoming Church is expressed this way. is to see others belong to community, believe in Jesus, and become who God desires them to be. Who God desires us to be is to become like his son, Jesus. Romans 8.29, the message paraphrases, hits on that when it says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son, Jesus, or of his son. So he's shaping our lives like his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. And then we see the original and then the intended shape of our lives there in him. So in other words, we're called to become like Jesus. So that's the original, and that is, that's what we're supposed to become. Our lives are supposed to be shaped to become like him. But that process of becoming like Jesus is called spiritual formation. And there's a theologian named Dallas Willard that he defines spiritual formation this way. He says spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So in other words, spiritual formation is being formed spiritually into becoming like Jesus. It's a process of becoming. It's this idea that who I am today will not be who I am tomorrow because every day is a day to become like Jesus. It's, it's not this, you know, we say, hey, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what I never tell you is that instantly everything changes. That's, that's a lie. <laughs> it's just not true. So I'm not going to tell you that. But it's day by day. It's little by little. And what happens, we set people up if we never walk them through that. Because they think because I surrendered my life to Jesus that instantly everything is supposed to be well. But that's just not the truth, family. It's a day by day approach. It's little by little. It's bit by bit. It's every single day saying, look, this moment, this time, this space is an opportunity to become like Jesus. That doesn't mean there won't be trials and, and, and hardships and things of that nature, but I'm going to keep going and becoming this person that God desires me to be. And so maybe you're like, yo, I hear you, but you don't know my story. You don't know my past, that my issues have issues. So 
So how can I actually become like Jesus? Because family, you got to understand this. Issues are nothing more than gaps, right? And we all have gaps. We all need some spiritual braces, if you will. We have gaps in how we love people. We have gaps in how we serve people. We have gaps in our relationship with the Lord. So we need this thing that bridges from where we are to where we want to be, and that is grace. That grace can close the gap. That this is where I am. This is where I want to be. How do I get there? It is the grace of God. So I don't care what issues you have. I really don't. I don't care what your struggles are because none of that is is more powerful than the grace of God. So even if you feel like your issues have issues, then guess what? The grace of God can close your gaps. It's the grace of God that can fill your gaps. Family, our ability to become like Jesus isn't based on what we can do, but it's based on what God's grace has done. It's the grace of God that has saved us. It's the grace of God that has freed us. It's the grace of God that has changed everything. So stop living out of your own ability. Stop trying to close your, the gap yourself. Stop trying to do it on your own. In fact, can you ease up off of yourself? You said, man, I keep messing up. I keep finding myself in this spot. I thought I would be past this. It's two years later, and I'm still struggling with this. Can I tell you? But you're still here. But you're still going. And if you would keep holding on and trusting God, eventually the grace of God would empower you to overcome the thing that you thought would overtake you. It is the grace of God that fills the gaps. I'm so thankful for God's grace because the enemy would tell us, listen, this is how it's always going to be. You're always going to struggle with this. You're always going to deal with this. You're never going to become that person that God desires you to be. So why would you keep going? You might as well stop, give up, give in, throw in the towel right here because this is how it's going to be, bro. But he doesn't understand. He's underestimated the power of God's grace. And it's not this license to do and live how we want to live. And people have tried to project that on Christianity. They'll say, you know what? Well, I don't want to go to that place because they say I got to do this and do that and live this perfect life. No, Christianity is not about doing what you want to do. It's not about living a perfect life, but it's about just walking in the grace of God. That says, look, I understand there's some some error of my ways. I understand I don't get it right. So I want to surrender my life to you and allow the grace of God to fill the gaps. It's the grace of God that we can become. It's not a license to do whatever. It's not a license to dismiss what Jesus calls us to. So it's not this idea that, yo, I want the kingdom, but I don't want the king. In other words, people, people will get to a space where I want community, I want connection, I want to be able to show up to a place and, and hear how, you know, man, my life can change and get better, but I don't want the things that God called me to. That's this idea of wanting the kingdom, but not wanting the king. But can I tell you, the things that you think you can't give up, the things that you think you can't surrender, if you would trust God's grace, he'll lead you through that. And the thing that you thought was better to hold on in life, you will see life is so much more full in Jesus. There's so much more because this discovery of who God is, the things you think you're going to miss out on, they're pale in comparison to what God wants to show you what's all available. 
It's like uh, in youth ministry telling teenagers, like, yo, you ain't missing nothing. Just stop and keep living and trust God. Amen? We're not going to finish this this week. This is going to be part two. So we've got to do what Jesus did. This is the third goal. And the question is, well, what exactly did Jesus do? The gospel accounts make it clear for us. I'm like, yeah, we're not going to finish. But the gospel accounts, it makes, us, it makes it clear to us that Jesus, he did what? He preached the gospel. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. You see him eating and drinking with the least of these. He was constantly praying and prophesying. He was for justice. He stood up against religious hypocrisy, and he spoke truth to power. So simple. Let's go. Let's go do the same. Y'all ready?